DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Patrick Kinahan. If the Jazz lose to the Rockets, you will leave the market. That's not quite true. <laughs> not permanently, just temporarily. Well, here's the deal. I don't know if I should say it, so I want to say it anyway. Ainge, myself, and Jay-Z, we're going to go on a three-day retreat and figure out what's wrong, and we're going to fix this thing, and we're going to get it back to where it needs to be. So we'll be back on Monday, and we'll have it all figured out, believe me. And all these people claiming it's Ainge's fault, I'm sure you've seen that. That was the rage on social media when I went to bed, and then when I got up this morning, I picked it right up. It's like Ainge is up at the top of a mountain, and he's some king, and he's coming down in the valley with swords just chopping heads off. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy to think that oh, since he came aboard, was it the middle of December, that all these players are playing so tight and all that. I was thinking about this a lot, though. It's, to me, there can be a degree of truth to it, but I don't know how much of a degree of truth it is once they get out on the court. And what I mean by that is you take a guy like Joe Ingles. I mean, he's discussed it. He's discussed it on our show. He'll probably discuss it later this morning. Uh, you know, he's open to answering obvious questions. He doesn't hide from the truth. I, I have a hard time thinking as he's going up for a shot, oh, no, Ainge is going to trade me. But <laughs> when when he's off the court, I mean, obviously, he's got his family set. He's a foreign dude living thousands of miles away from home. And he's got a kid who has, is basically, you know, a special needs kid. And they've got him in therapy. And, and, and Joe has talked about that at great length and how the, the young, young fellow has made great strides and all that. And and his wife is here and she's active in the community. So I would think that would definitely be unsettling <laughs> thinking, you know, you've got your family here and he's what, 34 years old. He's not middle-aged yet, but he's settled like in a middle-aged lifestyle, so to speak with three kids and going to school and all the activities and who wants to uproot that? Obviously you don't. So I think that does play in, but I don't know that in Joe's case that it's because of age. I think it's more contractually, uh, I, I just I have a hard time buying when they're out on the floor in the actual moment of the game that they're thinking about that. Maybe some other times in their lives, particularly what uh, depending on their personal lives and what they got going, especially in Joe's case. So I sort of buy it, but not completely. But when they show Danny with those beady eyes sitting there in the second row uh, and you can't see his face because of the mask, you're thinking, oh, no, who's gone? Who's gone tonight? I agree with you. It's like uh, it's a it's a couple degrees removed. That Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. If guys are playing tight, if they're cranky, and I don't think it impacts everybody the same way. Some of the younger guys are just like, "Hey, I get traded to this team, and who knows where you're going? It could be a great situation. It could be more playing time. It could be a team that'll have money to pay you more. It could be you know, there's lots of ways it could go. It could be closer to home." It, yeah. You could have friends on the team who you bonded with, you know, AAU ball, college, whatever, or maybe a foreign guy and other foreign guys. Who knows, right? I think that Joe is an interesting example because there's so much more, and I was actually talking to someone with the Jazz who knows Joe a little bit. It was like, you know Joe's thinking three steps ahead because he's traded. Well, if he's traded, is it a team that wants to re-up him? If he's not going to re-up, there's no sense of moving the whole family. And then that means that Joe's going to be off on his own for three or four months, however good the team is, however however deep they go in the playoffs. And that's going to suck. It was someone who said, yeah, when Joe's family left, he would just get cranky. You could tell by his mood. You didn't have to know if his family was in town or not. You knew from his mood. 
Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it was just yeah. a given. And then if he's done at the end of the year, well, then does he continue? Is he at the point in his career where it'll be a series of one-year contracts and different teams? Because is that good? So really, should he just at the end of the summer hang it up and go back to Australia? Which could be the best thing for everybody, and maybe he would do it. But obviously, at some level, that would suck for you because you always dream of playing pro basketball, and you're turning the page. It's the end of an era in your life, and that hits everybody hard. And you can say it shouldn't, but it does. You got to be allowed to pout a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> and all of that's running through his mind, and it could all be a huge waste of time because the trade may not happen. It takes two to make the trade. You know who knows? Hey, and I'm that ten- sets I, I a tone yeah. that underwrites everything. But you're right; nobody's thinking with three fifteen left. If I don't make the shot, Danny's going to trade me. Heck, you could make the shot and get traded. Who knows? It depends on who's coming back. That's the truth. That's absolutely the truth. So I think it can weigh on you, but I don't know that it wears on you in the moment. And I'm thinking, I want guys who are mentally tough, man. And I want guys, and because I've been in this situation. Oh, if you're going to be traded, you know, I've never been traded, obviously, uh, but I've been told, you know, you weren't good enough. And I know in my case, it's like, oh, oh bleep you, I'll show you. <laughs> and so, you know, I want those types of players on my team anyway. I want mentally tough dudes because all these guys are skilled. They have a high level of skill to be in the league, and, you know, unless you're seven, whatever, and you're just there a lot because of your height, which I don't know how many of those guys would be there anyway. Uh, it, it takes a lot of effort, determination, and mental toughness to get where you're at. Um, you just look at guys on the Jazz, so many of them, I don't want to say rejects, but somewhere along the line, they've been told you're not good enough. And even if you're good enough to be the 27th pick, you're upset that 26 teams passed on you. And so that is a form of I'll show you. So I want mentally tough dudes. And if this is going to make them crumble, I don't know that I want them in the first place. But I don't think it's going to make them crumble. So I'm not saying that it is. But I also think that there's some residual effect uh, on their lives and my guess would be once we get past February 10th and the moves are made or the moves aren't made, because sometimes they, you know, they say sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make. I think we might see a little bit more of a relaxed team and, and, and get it going. I mean, I, I, I tweeted last night sarcastically, basically, I can't wait to game 70 because they've been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Uh, yeah. And I didn't read some of them because you were right, PK. I had read them and I already knew it was an issue before the post started. I knew, you know, the public was dialed into this and, and, People aren't completely wrong. You know, you got to have a more nuanced view. It does set a tone. Matt, the team has gone to crap since hiring Danny Ainge. Blame Ainge. Chris, Ainge, everyone feels the trade pressure. That is that is closer to it. They don't. I think the fact that none of them have, I assume none of them, maybe a couple of them do, that most of them don't have a relationship with Ainge, that's what we can all relate to. You get a new boss. You don't know what the new boss wants or values. You got to build a relationship with a new boss. That's unsettling. Was that uh, was that Chris McDonald who put that out there? Yes. So, yeah, he's a friend of mine, a uh, longtime Tribune employee, great great basketball fan. So when he says stuff like that, I think I think there is a level of truth, but you're just gonna fight through it and play through it, as as Mitchell would say. I mean, that's Donovan Mitchell's basically mantra: is keep going, man, keep fighting through, and see what you got. Alex says undersized and they lack passion. The undersized thing 
is always an issue. That's something they have to overcome in a lot of games. Now, they've won enough games that you can say, yeah, they have to overcome it. Now, Alex goes on to say, you watch Royce and Ingles, for example, and they basically coast the whole game. That's a really hard thing to say about Royce when he just had 15 rebounds last night. You don't get 15 rebounds in a game because you're coasting. Rudy Gobert's 7-2, and he doesn't get 15. He didn't last night. But in the games where he's had 15 rebounds, he didn't get them by coasting. I don't think they're coasting. I agree. I I agree. I think they feel the pressure because there's high expectation, and right now they're not meeting it. I would look at that, the expectation of the team, and how much they – are desiring to meet those expectations probably more than certainly more than coasting and also more than uh, Ainge looking over their yeah. shoulders. And I think that Quinn was right that they do lose focus. That's the only way to explain. You dig out of a nine-point hole, you take a 13-point lead at home against an inferior team, you lose focus, that's how you give up a 15-0 run. Yeah, I think they they need to get a little more killer instinct. They need to yes. have somebody, and I don't know if it's Mitchell because he's too young, but they need somebody to put their foot down and say, bleep this, this isn't going to happen. Yep. All right, PK, you go on that retreat, straighten everything out, 72 more hours of suffering, and then all is good. Mark my words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Jay-Z and Ainge wrecking their weekend by spending it with PK. But if that's the price that has to be paid... All right, coming up next, Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com. He's got to call him out, Big 12, divvying up divisions, making decisions about how many conference games to play. Where is college football going from here? Dennis Dodd, next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Are they a good team? Absolutely. Are they a team that's going to be a top four team in the West? Absolutely. Are they a team that I expect to win a series or two in the NBA playoffs? Absolutely. Is this a team that I have any level of expectations to challenge for an NBA title right now? No, I do not. Not to say that this team is currently constituted can't get there, but I think that if they are going to challenge for a title, then they're going to have to do something at trade deadline to find a piece or two to get them over the top. I could still see the Jazz post-All-Star break. I could see this team going on a 9, 10, 12-game winning streak. I could still see this team as a Western Conference Finals team. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome Dennis Dodds from CBS Sports back Back on the air, and Dennis, you wrote a story that you knew would get attention in Utah because you know how BYU fans are, and they are super excited about the Big 12, and you wrote about the impending decision to form divisions. Uh, Why don't you recap uh, what you know and uh, how this process is going along? Well, this is the assumption, you know, start to the assumption that Texas and Oklahoma are going to stay throughout the term of the Big 12 contract that ends with the 24 football 24-25 basketball. And it starts with the assumption that those, those four schools, including BYU, are going to come into the 23 season. They're going to have to accommodate what the league looks like. And at that point, it would be 14 teams for two years before that contract ends. And NCAA rules stipulate that you have to have um, any, any league above 12 teams have to split into divisions. And so that's what the active discussions are about. What does it look like competitively? What does the schedule look like in those two years? I mean, you've got some monster programs 
that were going to be impacted in playing playoff berths and conference titles and everything else, and, and BYU dipping its toe in the water in, in that situation. So that's where they are right now. We may have some finality by May at the uh, at the Big 12 spring meetings in Scottsdale, but it's actually being talked about right now. Dennis, you've been in our market many times over. I've seen you around, obviously, and so you understand the passion of BYU-Utah as if you almost lived here like we do. And so now, going forward in sports radio, we're going to love it because it's going to be an it's already an endless battle BYU versus Utah. Now it's going to be an endless battle between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, as you can imagine, which conference is better, you know. And we're going to have fun with it and horse around with it and talk radio. It's what we do, you know that full well. But my thought for you, and I'm a Pac-12 guy, went to ASU and all that, and this has been my conference since I was a teenager. But as I look at this new Big 12. When it comes time for Texas and Oklahoma to leave, I like the conference. And if you compare it to the Pac-12, I think it compares favorably. How do you see it? Yeah, I think a couple of thoughts. Um, You know, you're going to need one team or two teams to be dominant, which the Pac-12 hasn't had. Uh, It's been 18 years since the national championship, whatever, five or six since the CFP. Everybody in the league loses two games a year at least, which takes you out of the CFD. That's the issue I have with the Big 12 going forward. It's not to say you can't have one or two dominant teams. Let's just say they're BYU and Cincinnati. Um, as things stand right now, Oklahoma State would be, have to be in the conversation among those 12 um, in terms of putting resources into football. The advantage for the Big 12 going forward in that it doesn't become a Pac-12 is because in an expanded playoff, if we ever get there, you're only going to have to be 11 and two uh, to get in. Uh, in the way, as proposed, you've got the top six ranked conference champions and then six at large. The advantage for any of it uh, is that you don't have to go 12 and one or undefeated anymore. Notre Dame doesn't have to go undefeated, which is really the case in the 14 playoff. So if you've got the schedule, you know if you won the league, or you know even if you hadn't, in the case of the SEC, which is going to have a say in this, you're going to have a really good shot with uh, with two losses, depending on who you play. Obviously, the SEC is the strongest league, and the Big Ten's in a great spot. The ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 all have problems. They have different problems, but they all have problems. Which problems would you most like to have, either because the problems aren't as big or the problems are more easily solved? Uh, ACC, Big 12, and, and who else? Pac-12. Pac-12, obviously, yeah. Um, you know what? That's a great question because by any measure, it's going to be a diminished Big 12. Uh, when you lose Oklahoma and Texas, you don't get stronger. Uh, ACC has the worst uh, TV contract right now, by far, actually, and, it, and they're locked into 2036. That's going to have a cumulative effect on competitive value. And the Pac-12 is what it is. I mean, how many conferences have their commissioner come out a couple of weeks ago? And I'm sure you guys saw this. Uh-huh. Basically broke it down by saying we're undersizing both lines. <laughs> and and he's going to go into the president's uh, Kliatkoff and tell them we need to spend on facilities and resources and get football better. How's that going to go over at Cal or Stanford? I'm just saying. Um, so, uh, you know, I think traditionally, again, because – 
um, you know, the resources are maybe there. Uh, the Big 12 might have the least of the problems. Now, for those, for those four schools coming in, the revenue is going to be a windfall. For the eight existing, they're going to have to tighten the belt. Um, you know, can you compete competitively for coaching salaries, everything else, making $20 million a year for school, which I, I'm just kind of, I've kind of landed on that figure. Um, having talked to people in the last year of the Big 12 contract, the average will be $44 million per school because that, these deals are backloaded. Um, but I, I think it'll be really interesting to see what that's worth to, um, to the networks, the rights holders. Do you see, we've heard rumors of the Big 12 not settling. Uh, have you heard anything as far as maybe them continuing? You know, we've heard the Arizona schools might be interested, whomever it might be. Well, I mean, I've written that, all that stuff. I mean, at the time when they added these four schools, it was hinted at that they're not done. I would say in the big picture, college football is not done. I keep hearing another round of realignment is coming, some consolidation of schools, and that all comes down to the to the SEC um, now aligning the best number of brands in under one tenth since Procter and Gamble. I mean, think about this. I'm not talking about college football. I'm talking about all sports. Um, maybe this side of the NFL, but they have the best athletic football playing brands all of themselves: Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Florida. Um, and I, I haven't gotten through half the league yet. Uh, those are the top ones. So, you know, the, the closer conferences can get to that, whether it's adding, um, yes, the Arizona schools, I think would be in play. I think there's a decision to be made there by USC if this downturn continues in the Pac-12, whether it wants to go to uh, independence or not. Um, does the Pac-12 try to fortify itself by reaching back out east? Is the Big Ten going to stay how they are? They're pretty darn, you know, strong right now. Uh, and then, and then, like initially, you heard Memphis, Boise for the Big 12. Do they do that and just try to line up as many schools as they can and grow to 14 like everybody else? Is. At that point, it would be ACC, SEC, Big Ten. Um, Big 12, and then it's the Pac-12 at a disadvantage by staying at 12. I don't know. Dennis Dodds joining us. CBS Sports got a story out about the Big 12 looking to uh, align into divisions, and it took a long time, I think, for people to get used to 12-team leagues. As you point out, 14 could be the new normal. But when you say the SEC is at 16 and they've got brands that are not done yet, you know, a long time ago, Jackie Sherrill said four 20-team leagues Everybody's in 10-team divisions. It's essentially yeah. a league for scheduling purposes. Your conference title game essentially becomes a national quarterfinal. Is he going to end up being right? Yeah, I don't know if we're there yet. I mean, a lot of that's been put out there, like what if the SEC just decides to get 30 or 35 schools and call it a day? Uh-huh. You know, we'll have our own playoffs. Everything else is meaningless anyway. You know, the, one of these 30 schools are the best each year, so... Um, you know, is there some dissatisfaction with what I just mentioned in the ACC with their payout with the likes of Clemson, Florida State, and Miami? I think that bears watching. So that could be the next move, either by those schools to, to call the SEC or, or vice versa. So, yeah, I, I think it could happen. I think it's going to be a period of years because 
I think that that's a big one to watch in the ACC. There's no way they can grow in terms of revenue um, without adding Notre Dame. And there's absolutely no projection that that's going to happen. One of the things Klyakov said at the Pac-12 title game before when he held his little press conference downstairs was that he would be interested in potentially keeping the divisions but not necessarily be tied to the winner of the North and the South playing each other and going with the two best teams, if it so happens to be, that they're in the same division. Uh, I'm wondering if you think the Big 12 would be interested in that. Have you heard any movement as far as that taking place going forward throughout college football? Well, that's the issue. You, and with that story I wrote yesterday, you have to get a waiver from the NCAA. Right. Uh, to do that, because it will state the 12 and above, you have to split into divisions. But since we're not going to deregulate college athletics this year, what is the NCAA? What do they have to do with it? You know, you could you just say, we're going to do it. You're going to stop us? I mean, look what's happened with NIL and, uh, and the transfer portal. Um, you know, the thing is running itself. So, yeah, I think that would be a – I've long said that more teams, more conferences should do that to enhance their access to the playoffs. The Big 12 has done it. They can now with 10 teams. I think the Americans have done it. I'm pretty sure the Americans have done it as well. So, yeah, I, I think Klafkoff is seeing into the future where no matter how many teams you have, you just go to one 12-team division. And, and look, the, the members are going to be making the rules anyway, so they can just say, you know, forget it. Now, I, I don't think there'd be any pushback against changing that rule where I think that would be more advantageous where your best teams are playing each other. It it absolutely hurt the Big 12 this year, but the two, the two best teams were playing. Oklahoma State was within three yards and some horrible play calling inside the five-yard line of beating Baylor and going to the playoffs. Um, you know, that's on them, but they were right there, and Baylor had a fantastic season, maybe the best it's ever had. Dennis Dodds joining us, CBS Sports, cbsports.com. So, Klavkov came on our show, and he was very generous with his time, and I thought he was really open with his answers. Of course, we were asking him stuff, and he wanted to weigh in on some of those issues, so it made it a little easier. At the end of the half hour, and he spent a half hour with us, and at the end of the half hour, he was talking about the playoff, and he said, and it was so ominous, and he said it without any... any fire? It wasn't. It wasn't something where I'm threatening people and I'm banging the table. It was none of that. It was in a very matter of fact. He said, "Well, right now it t- requires a unanimous vote, but in a few years it won't." I'm paraphrasing, but in a few years it won't. And at that point, you have to decide if you want to be on board or if people are just going to go without you. And it made me think that in these meetings right now, they're reasonably close to having a an expanded playoff, and the people who are really dragging their heels. They don't dare get left behind. I mean, it just sounded like just brutal power politics. Like, you're kind of ticking me off, and i got to put up with you now. And a Pac-12 commissioner isn't in a place to throw his weight around all by himself. So I think there's a coalition of people who think like he thinks. Is it really going to get that vicious, or will everyone fall in line at the end of the day? I think everyone will fall in line. The only thing I would say is I think this thing now is pretty certain that it's going to go four more years. So because of everything we're talking about, uh, the ACC, Rose Bowl, everything. It's too much to get over right now in the context of the NCA reshaping itself. That's basically what the ACC is saying. And so at the end of the, at the, end of the day, 
in four years, all you do you think Jim Phillips is really going to keep the ACC out? You know, in other words, those four other Power Fives can say, "Here's how it's going to look." Uh, hey, Group of Five, you know, you don't have any say in it anyway. So here's what we're going to do, and the ACC is going to step on principle. No, they'll come around, um, but it's going to be four years. And, and if they don't look, we'll stay at four. Um, Greg Sankey has said that. Uh, you know, I, I think at that point, the pressure would be on the president, obviously, of the ACC, that you can stand on principle all you want. But this is a multi-billion dollar operation that's going to be a lot of money for this conference and fix many of the woes you're talking about. I, I don't I don't deny uh, or give short shrift to anything the ACC has done. I, I think them standing on principle is, uh, is noble, uh, you know. As college athletics goes forward, you've got to have some sort of shred, you know, connection to education, and that's wearing away, as you guys would admit, day by day. Um, if we end up paying players, then what have we got? Uh, I think it's coming to that, but you're still going to have that shred that's connected to education, and maybe that's what the ACC is standing for. So would the Big 12 and Pac-12 then, would they be to the point of basically desperately needing an expanded playoff? Well, in any situation, this benefits the Pac-12 and Big 12 and everybody in Notre Dame, actually. That's why they signed off on it, because it's more access. It triples the field. It goes from 3% of FBS to 9%, probably still too little, but, you know, player safety, you can't play games all, all fall. Um, no, it's, it's great. Um, if the SEC has the most teams in, that's great. You know, they, that's probably what's going to happen. But in some sense, it's going to give automatic access to a team um, or some sort of access to a team in the Pac-12, which they've lost for the last six, six years. Um, I think the Big 12 has been in it four, four times out of eight. I'm not sure. Um, but anybody is going to be in a group of five. You can legitimately recruit at Appalachian State in Louisiana and say you can play for national championship or at least be in the playoffs. It's, it's a win-win for everybody. The other discussion that we just talked about, the ACC, too many games. Um, the NCAA's in upheaval. What are we doing? Let's wait before that's settled. But for everybody, it's more access. It makes total sense. So apparently America will watch bad football and lopsided games. The NFL expanded the playoffs, and man, the two seeds crushed the seven seeds, but but people are going to watch Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, even if they're winning in blowouts. So the NFL makes more money. And so I guess the same thing applies to college football, where the semifinals have been blowouts. So naturally, Alabama and Georgia, I assume they would have won their quarterfinal games in blowouts. But the competition really isn't the thing, is it? We're just going to stop down and millions of people will watch football and people will get paid. And that's all there is to it. Well, the ratings for the college football playoff has declined steadily since year one. I think I, I think the championship game this year was a 45% decline from year one. And you better believe those people that run that are watching that. So I can't um, claim that the ratings will necessarily go up, especially for the early round games. But you're going to have what you just saw in the NFL, the seven seeds getting wiped out. Um but there's a larger discussion to be had here. And Bob Bolsey made a great point I think in September when this all came about that starting November 1st, you're going to have about 35 or 40 teams 
um, in September, I'm sorry, 35 or 40 teams with a realistic shot at the playoff. Um, on November 1st, it'll be 20 or 30 instead of about six or four we're talking about right now. And that's going to help everybody. The rights holders, competitive balance, um, more interest in the game, attendance. I really think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to take away from the regular season. I think it's going to enhance it. And the bowls are the bowl. We've seen the, the bowls below that are fodder right now. Anyway, the last two years they've canceled for COVID and various reasons. Um, they're programming. Uh, ESPN owns them. I think 39 of the 41 outside the CFP. And it's programming. And I, I think a bunch, the overwhelming majority of them did a million viewers, which is great for advertising. And so they're not going anywhere. You may not, they may be increasingly irrelevant, but not as background noise during the holidays, which when advertisers sell a lot of products. So they, they're still going to be there. When the Big 12 gets set and the two teams leave, how competitive do you think their TV contract would be in terms of individual schools and the money that they will receive? In terms of overall or per school? Because we're talking per, yeah, about yeah, per money. school. Per yeah. school. I was just wondering how much do you think BYU is going to be in for uh, when they get going and uh, the other two schools take off and, and it's everything. Um, well, as I just mentioned, the number I'm working with now in the new deal that I've been told operating at $20 million per school. And so that would put them at the bottom right, right. there with uh, right there at the ACC. The Pac-12 is going to get a new deal, so they're going to get more money in whatever sense that means. They're just going to because it's been a 12-year deal, and the market shifted dramatically. They're going to get more money. Um, right. The Big 12 is going forward with 12 teams that are, that are less than what they have, 10 they have right now. So, right. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that I think they'll be towards the bottom there. And, and so then, my my follow up that I wanted to get to was, uh, how much of a disadvantage do you think that is going to be in terms of other conference peer competition that the others the, the amount of money that the other schools are getting? Uh, they're going to be behind, but again, you have to balance that with access to the playoff. Um, the fact that the SEC is getting stronger every day, no matter how much money they get. Uh, I think the, the Big 12 has done something brilliant. They knew they couldn't do a network, so they've gone to the ESPN Plus, which is essentially their network. They're getting revenue out of that. And look, it's whatever the Big 12 does, whatever the Pac-12 does, whatever the ACC does, they're always going to be behind the Big 10 and the SEC. Yeah. So at that point, we're just having a discussion over who's three, three through five. Um, right. You know, unless unless this whole model blows up and somebody takes thirty teams or something like that. So what you do with it, um, how you maximize it, is going to be different from conference to conference. The thing that that makes it more equal is this playoff, which gets you access where you can hang that shingle. Say, not only are we SBS, not only are we Power Five. We're a playoff participant. You can come here. And even something as simple as that affects everything from enrollment to research grants to ability to, to lure um, faculty. Uh, that's why a lot of this is so important. So going forward with access becoming more important with the SEC having so many brand name programs and, and looking like such a difficult league to compete and win in and the schools in the SEC being, being willing to fire coaches who've won national championships two years later, 
are more coaches, and I'm curious what they will tell you or hint at privately, not what they'll say into a microphone, are more coaches on the Brian Kelly path where get me to the SEC, pay me, and I will figure it out, and I will bet on me, or are more coaches on the Lincoln-Riley path like, what do I need to stay at Oklahoma and go to the SEC for? This SC thing looks awfully good. I like the way the Pac-12 looks. Let's do that. Uh, two different situations, and you have to understand there are only a finite number of jobs in each league. You know, when you say more coaches, yeah, I'll just go to the SEC. So I'll just go to Pac-12 is an easier path. I think the bigger story is for the Pac-12, the three biggest programs in that league have all changed coaches. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's pressure on on those three coaches to, to save the league, particularly Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, Brian Kelly's, I think, is a one-off because he's sort of a third choice there. I, I, it was a surprise. Nothing he can't win. He's the winning coach at Notre Dame. Um, is it a better access for him there? Yes, it is. The Notre Dame. You have to go undefeated at Notre Dame every year at some stand right now to get in the playoff virtually. Uh, you, you can get to the playoff easier at the S, in the SEC going forward. Uh, and I think this plays into what Texas and Oklahoma thought when they went there, obviously it's the best conference, is, okay, if you're 10-3 and three in the Big 12, it's going to be harder to get in the playoff than it would be at, in the SEC. You see what I'm saying? Um, big picture. So, no, I don't think there's some sort of trend here. I think the trend was that there were um, – I think the trend was early signing day. Uh, you had, what is it now, 30 – it's 29 or 30 openings. And Hawaii's open now. I think that's either 29th or 30th. Um, and that had nothing to do with early signing day, but a lot, half of the jobs before that did. Um, in 99 days, 28 jobs opened. That's crazy. And a lot of that was because of the early signing. Dennis, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll keep reading you at CBSSports.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com. The Big 12 plotting out divisions. And I get the North-South and the one he put in his story makes sense. But I'm also sure, and it's a short-term thing, and you got to think long-term when you're building divisions. But, man, the North is way stronger than the South. <laughs> it's, it's, it's way stronger. And I'm sure that got brought up in the room. But everything's cyclical, too. Programs go up and down. Uh, yeah, so you don't really know where are we in 10 years. Right. Uh, but you still have some pretty good teams in the South, though. Well, what, Baylor. What? I mean, Baylor just jumps out at you. Baylor would be looking at the South going, yeah, I like the way this looks. <laughs> I like the way this is lining up. Now, who's I, to say what TCU or, or Houston or UCF does down the line? And, and those teams have had their moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe you put Oklahoma State in there, but, uh, you know, particularly if they go and play the, the best two teams rather than uh, South and North and that type of thing. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Homie. Finally, the way real estate should be. Full service, local agents, and you'll save thousands. Homie, a better way to buy or sell. So the Utah Jazz lose again. The Rockets beat the Jazz 116-111. to 111. Jazz, back-to-back losses. Six of their last seven, seven of their last ten. The answer is clear. They need to play the Denver Nuggets more often. That's it. There it is. Problem solver. Good night, everybody. Genius. Well, 
Since the calendar flipped, since the Utes played in the Rose Bowl. There's a marker. We all know where we watch that game. Some of you are in Pasadena or, you know, you're in the old family room or gathered over at Grandma and Grandpa's house. I don't know, wherever you were. You know where you watch the Rose Bowl. Since that game, 3-7. and 3-7 and seven in calendar year 2022. And that's 2-0 against the Nuggets and 1-7 and against everybody else. So obviously, play the Nuggets more often. <sighs> okay. That's 90% screwing around. But I think there's 10% truth in that. Because the Nuggets have players about the same age as the Jazz. The Nuggets have players with similar backstories. Jamal Murray, who is out now? And Donovan Mitchell, similar age. Similar backstories. The centers, similar age, similar backstories. When I say similar, very loosely. But two foreign centers, two seven-footers. Now, really different skill sets. But ready to go at it. In that sense, similar backstories. Same generation, highly talented players, both foreign guys. And it brings out the best in everybody. They know they're going to be challenged when they face Denver. They had seven games with them in the playoffs and the bubble, plus all the regular season matchups. People are focused. People are energized. Can you really say, as you watch these other Jazz games, that they're focused and energized? You can in Toronto, and that's why a lot of you didn't come in complaining the next day. You knew they had a lot less talent. They sat most of the guys in rotation, but the guys who did play... We're focused and energized, and you could feel it. Now they ran out of gas, and they weren't good enough, and they got beat. But we all get that. You didn't have that feeling after the Rockets game, and you didn't have that feeling after the Pistons game. Focused and energized. The first quarter of that Rockets game with the Jazz down 36-27, I didn't think they played that poorly. They didn't match up with a guy who has extraordinary three-point range, He had a couple of threes, got fouled and hit three more. His nine points were the difference. But I thought they could overcome that. And they did. And they built a 13-point lead. So they had the talent. They had the ability. But the focus and the energy to just suddenly give up a 15-0 run and to never really answer it back with another run. I mean, I hated the run. And I thought it was a sign of things to come because of the way they've been playing the last three weeks. But even in the best of times, NBA teams give up runs. Now, how do you turn a 15-0 run into an 11-4 run? Mix in a couple stops. Have a couple easy ways to get baskets. And it makes a big difference. 11-4 is bad. 15-0, much worse. Down two instead of up six. How do you lessen the duration and severity of the runs? <laughs> yeah, am I second? Am I second into a commercial for something else? <laughs> In some ways, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> sorry, sorry about that. Let me focus. This is serious business. The Jazz are sucking, and this is serious. This has to be fixed. Quinn was in a bad mood. Joe was in a bad mood. And you could eighteen thousand fans were in a bad mood. I was going to say, just look at your Twitter timeline, and I'll tell you. My Twitter timeline was in a horrible mood. Oh, yeah. And these things, well, the Twitter timeline can't really be fixed. But if we could upgrade my Twitter timeline to merely uh, a bad mood, that would be good. 
And part of it is they're putting different guys in different roles. The bench guys, Forrest, as we get house, as had moments, but they're better off with Hassan Whiteside. They've had much better moments with Hassan. So get guys back. They were down three guys, and they had to plug three guys in. And I know a lot of you were frustrated that Pascal wasn't one of them. Do they feel like they need size? The thing Pascal provides is energy. And for a team that seems to be lacking it, his other flaws, can you overlook them to get that energy? He wants to take guys off the dribble. In that regard, he's Carlos Boozer. He's going to take you off the dribble, and he's going to go left. And if you don't know that, you haven't been paying attention. Read your coach's scouting report. Jazz fans know it. Pascal's going to go left. He goes left, he scores. And that one great move in Denver, he went left, then he went right, crossed everybody up. Then he went back left to finish. He's going left. Now, there will come a time when that won't work. you got to be more diversified than that. But it has given him a spark, and when they're flat, I wouldn't mind seeing him play. And he's got other deficiencies, and we had David Locke on and talked with him about that. And I get why he doesn't play, but when you're losing, do something different. It's dog day afternoon. And especially when you just need five minutes of energy. Let him out. Let him run. Let him run with the big dogs. See if he can change the energy and flow of a game. We'll talk with Joe Ingles next. He's going to join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.